You are listening to The Thriving Lawyer with Kathleen Brenner. Are you a lawyer who's feeling burnt out but you want more in life? Do you want to live a purpose-driven life that is filled with more meaning and joy? A life where you can absolutely thrive as a lawyer but not at the expense of everything else that is important to you? If you are, you've come to the right place. I'm a lawyer, a coach, a dreamer and a change maker. My mission is to help you grow and thrive, to embody your values and strengths as both a lawyer and human being, and to expand what is possible for you so you can create a more joyful, fulfilling and impactful life than you ever previously imagined possible. Welcome to The Thriving Lawyer. I'm really excited about the episode today because for those of you who've been listening for a little while, you will have seen that or heard rather that what I've been doing is talking about different ideas and concepts that I've learned about in my own coaching and sharing how I think that they're relevant to lawyers and the lessons that we can learn from them. But today is very much taking a different tack and it's the first of what I hope are um, regular interviews with lawyers who've done what I think um, are, well, let's say that they've taken interesting or unconventional career paths and have something to say that might be of interest um, to you as the audience. So the very first person that I'm talking to um, this time um, is Narman Kranz, who um, lives in Canberra and he works three days a week as a special counsel at Lawyer Bank which is a private new model law firm in Canberra. He specialises in litigation and administrative law there. And in addition to that work, he also works two days a week as a principal lawyer at the Animal Law Institute, which is a community legal centre in Melbourne that is dedicated to protecting animals and advocating for, the interests, for their interests through the Australian legal system. In May 2019, Narman started KNR Animal Law with his friend and colleague Mike Wazowski. KNR Animal Law is the first commercial law firm in Australia that is dedicated to helping animals and their human defenders. Narman and Mike run KNR Animal Law primarily on nights and weekends. In 2022, Narman and Mike were the inaugural winners of the Brian Sherman Animal Law Prize and recognised for their work in using the law to help animal protection organisations and animal advocates. In his spare time, Narman enjoys riding his motorbike, playing guitar, cooking up tasty vegan meals and hanging out with his cat, Lockie. So welcome, Narman. Thanks, Kathleen. Um, it's great <laughs> to be on your show and great to be the first um, person you're interviewing on the show. No, I am so excited yeah. that we have been able to pin this down because um, when I met you and heard about what you had been up to, it just struck me that it was an example of someone who's really carving their own kind of career out and um, being really proactive in what that looks like rather than taking what can be the very easy kind of full-time employee kind of job. So um, welcome. And perhaps to kind of start with, I just invite you to just tell us a little bit more about what you're doing. Yeah, thanks, Kathleen. So um, as you mentioned, I'm working three days a week at Lawyer Bank, um, which you're also um, (laughs) working for, which as you know, it's a great place to work. Um, It's a new model firm. Um, It provides lawyers as secondees to government businesses and and law firms. Um, I'm sure you would agree that 
Bank is um, an incredibly flexible place to work. So they, um, you know, will give you a lot of um, autonomy with the times that you work, the places that you work. Um, and also we get to work with um, an extremely um, experienced and talented um, group of lawyers, which um, yeah, is, is a great privilege. Um, so Lawyer Bank has supporting me working three days a week. Um, and I've been on secondment with a number of federal government departments. Um, where I primarily practice administrative law and and, and manage litigation. Um, so, yeah, on top of that, I've recently, so in September last year, um, yeah, my friend and colleague Mike Rosalki and I started working as co-principal lawyers at the Animal Law Institute, uh, which we call ARLI for short. So ARLI is a registered community legal centre that operates from Melbourne and um, is dedicated to protecting animals through um, the use of the Australian legal system. So I'm working there two days a week um, and we primarily take on matters that are aimed at holding puppy and kitten breeders to account using the Australian consumer law. Um, so animals such as puppies are considered goods under the Australian consumer law and breeders or sellers um, will be required to comply with the consumer guarantees when supplying puppies or kittens to consumers. Um, and so we, what we see is quite a number of clients coming to us having purchased a puppy that has underlying health conditions and we'll, we'll represent these clients in courts or tribunals and um, help them understand what their rights are under the Australian consumer law. Mm. So, so how, how did that come about? Because I know that, you know, in the old days, you'd, you'd been in the public service as well. Mm. And, you know, gradually it seems like there's been a bit of a path to lawyer bank to your own animal practice law firm to now the work with the Institute. Yeah. And I think it, it, it kind of, yeah, it did take a bit of a path. So I, I think my, yeah, I first started really understanding the deficiencies in the law so far as it applies to animals and, and, and its ability and its failure to protect animals adequately under the law back in 2014 or 15, when I was working as a government, lawyer. I was a senior lawyer for government, um, working at the Department of Environment. And um, I, I just started watching things, talking to people and, and really just started learning about the deficiencies in the law. I, I wanted to do something um, different. And I um, got in contact with a community legal centre in Canberra called the Animal Defenders Office. Um, this is a centre run by, yeah, an incredibly inspiring and hardworking lawyer called Tara Ward. Um, and I got in contact with Tara and decided to do some volunteer work at the Animal Defenders Office. And that's where I really started um, down that path. And it was at the Animal Defenders Office where I first met Mike. And so me and Mike um, just started, you know, um, became friends after, I think, you know, we've got a lot of the same underlying values which we share, um, wanting to use the law to help animals. And um, a couple of years after that, so I think it was in 2018, we started talking about starting up our own firm um, that, could, that could be dedicated to helping animals. And about a year and a half later, we incorporated K&R Animal Law um, and we started um, taking on matters on nights and weekends. Um, mm. And it mm. So were you still a full-time public servant at that time? Or like, I was. Because that's a lot. Like, inter <laughs> There's a lot of time commitment and a lot of um, vision and energy that would go into something like that. Yeah, we, so we were both working full-time as um, government lawyers at the time. And um, I think we thought that doing this part-time would 
we're doing this on the top of a full-time job would help because then we wouldn't have the burden of it needing to be financially viable when we started off we could mm-hmm. test the waters um we kind of suspected that many of our clients wouldn't have a huge amount of money and so it wouldn't be perhaps driving a huge profit um which actually turned out to be the case <laughs> and um and quite often we when we first started anyway we would just you know a lot of the time we would take on would take on matters where we'd be helping um clients pro bono or for a, a very small fixed fee um so that yeah it wasn't really a money spinner so having and it was more of a passion project i guess so having um you know being able to fall back on a on a government um salary really helped us to be able to kind of put our well i guess ensure that we didn't have to make it a financially viable business which perhaps was a um, pro and in and perhaps it was a hindrance as well because what it meant was we didn't treat it as a business as such we retreated it as um using our skills to help people we wanted to help um which was great and um but perhaps we didn't we didn't um fully treat it like a business and and test the viability of this type of law firm um as we might have done if we had um quit our government jobs and gone all in on it okay um so what i'm hearing there is really the key that it has been a passion project, perhaps in terms of, you know, the, the disadvantage of that approach is, you know, it, it's not, it's not the, the, the um, how shall we put it, the money spinner, I think were your words, that, that would get um, the income. But, you know, from, from what I know about both, both you and Mike is there has been this journey and also through from the public service to then lawyer bank as well, um, and now this work with the Institute too. So th- there's quite um, a visible kind of path that's kind of occurred. Um, I-, I think our audience would be really curious to hear about like a little bit more about how that came about and the decision-making processes um, that you faced. <laughs> yeah. Um... Well, I guess, I guess it all kind of boils down to our values. So we were, um, the decision really was that we wanted to, we were both motivated by our deep concern, you know, for the treatment of animals in Australia. And, and we both, um, you know, and particularly animals used for f- food and fibre secretions and experimentation. These animals just aren't um, um, adequately protected under, under the um laws in Australia and, and that that was a view that we both shared and we were both driven by so I guess the decisions that we made were primarily values-based decisions um, to use our skills to try and help animals and we did that to start with um, both as volunteers for the Animal Defenders Office and then through um, K&R Animal Law um, and so yeah I, I guess I would say that through K&R we took on a wide variety of matters so we we took on matters in pretty much every state and territory in Australia and covering a pretty wide variety of, um, of, of, legal, of legal areas. So I think other than family law, we probably took on every other type of legal matter you can oh, think wow. of. So, yeah, like criminal matters, civil matters, IP matters, um, property disputes, um, you know, a lot of commercial work, some administrative law work. Um, 
And I guess what that, yeah, so there was a couple of things that kind of arose out of that. Like one is that it really broadened our, our networks and our legal skills. Um, so with our networks, we started just meeting, um, you know, like-minded lawyers and advocates and activists, and we'd, we'd, we'd try to help them where we could. Um, so we built up this, I guess, you know, I guess as a government lawyer, we had our networks and connections there, people that um, work in government law, um, practice government law, and there's a huge network of very skilled, talented lawyers. And I guess taking this path led us to developing a similar type of network um, in the animal law space. And having started KNR, we, um, yeah, we built up a unique set of skills, I guess, and based on our values that, um, um, I guess, helped us move into jobs like the job that we've got currently at Ali. Um, and I think with, with organisations like Ali, um, what, what you would want in a principal lawyer is somebody who has experience and in, in a variety of legal areas, but also someone, and I think probably more importantly, is somebody who's driven by their desire to use the, the law to help animals and understands the issues um, um, that animals are, are facing um, and the deficiencies that exist under, um, under the, the current laws. Mm. What's really evident when you speak there is the, well, how important it is to you and how central it is from that values-based perspective. And, you know, I think um, when I talk to the lawyers in my network from those that I work with to those I went to uni with, you know, I think so often we have these ideals of justice that we that drive us when we go into law um, that you know they're the reason that we want to become lawyers but it's so easy as we get caught up by the needs of well economics particularly in this environment with you know housing prices and the cost of living as they are and families and obligations mm. in just jobs that perhaps we don't find satisfying or that you know don't really reflect our values so I just want to kind of acknowledge like how refreshing it is to hear what someone like you, you know, with your story kind of challenging that. But I also, I suppose, would like to hear a little bit more about um, kind of that journey for you and maybe going back to those early days, you know, when you were back in law school and mm. or even before that in terms of driving you, like how did you end up being a lawyer in the first place and could you have ever imagined where you are now? <laughs> I, I absolutely could not imagine where I am now. I I was a bit of a late starter, so I um, yeah didn't do all that well in high school. I um, did the mature entry course when I was twenty five to get into university, and I remember being pretty much at the end of my law degree and feeling like I didn't actually know what a lawyer does on a day-to-day -day basis. I kind of like had some general, a general understanding of some principles relating to different areas of law, but I didn't, yeah, I just didn't really get it. Um, and my final subject um, at law school was a, um, was a placement at a community legal centre in Adelaide um, that was um, there to, to provide legal services to people that were doing it rough and living on the street. And it was the first time I kind of got it like, oh yeah, there's, I, I have this, you know, I can use this, um, this profession and these skills and this knowledge to help, um, help people who don't have these, these skills and knowledge. And, and it was the first time I thought to myself that actually this is something I might enjoy 
doing. Um, and so, yeah, my, and, and the first paid job I had as a lawyer was in native title, um, was helping native title claimants in South Australia. And, and I guess it brought me that same, that, that same sort of feeling of, um, you know, I've got a set of skills that I can use to help and um, people that really don't have that same body of knowledge. Um, and so, yeah, it, I, I guess I was in, to a large extent driven by social justice issues in, um, in pursuing the law as a career. And I think, and, and now I honestly believe that the treatment of animals in Australia is one of the biggest social issues that, um, that needs rectification. Um, the way that they're treated um, and the way that the laws are deficient in treating one species of animal in one way and another species in another way. Um, in, in my view, there's no logical or moral reason to discriminate um, in the way that the law does. And um, so it's, it's nice to be able to um, try and use my skills to help change that and um, hopefully use the law to help animals. Mm. So, so basically there, what, you know, what comes through so strongly is not just that belief, but also that continuity that maybe the, the, the precise kind of um, look, let's just say, or, or focus of your social justice or um, priorities might have changed or evolved over time, but it's always been there. I think I think that's right. Yeah, and just reflecting on that a little bit, I think I think that's right. It has been a social justice um, driver. And, yeah. and have there been points in your career where you kind of felt that maybe that was missing, um, and where you had to kind of shift? Absolutely, I think that that was the primary driver for starting up KNR Animal Law was um, working full time as a government lawyer and as much as that work was intellectually stimulating and it allowed me to meet a huge number of really talented lawyers and it gave me exposure to the way legislation is crafted and managing litigation for the government. Um, it, it, it was um, extremely helpful in build, building up my legal skills. I did feel like there was something missing there and um, and that was that, that drive and it can be very easy to um, fall into you know, complacency with doing that type of work. It's an easy life. And and I think I could probably have had a um, a very comfortable life just sitting back as a as a government lawyer. Um, but yeah, and I think meeting meeting Mike and meeting Tara and um, and just having this desire to use the law to do something to address um, injustices and, and social issues. Um, yeah, kind of moved me um, to start K and R and to and to and to volunteer my time in these areas and and try and um, yeah create something slightly different for myself, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, earlier in the podcast, you, you mentioned um, that one of the challenges has been perhaps that because you had that government job that you could continue part time, that perhaps one of the risks was that you treated it a bit more as, well, let's just say not not um, with a prime kind of focus economically, but clearly it brought you a whole lot of other benefits um, in terms of your values and the kind of other skills that you wanted, the, 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 the actual mission um, in terms of 
the outcomes that you want to see for animals. Um, I'm wondering what you wish you knew then that you know now. <laughs> when I started Kana. Yeah. Oh, um, oh, oh the, well, one thing I wish I knew then was that um, there was no need to get a trust account. That was um, probably <laughs> the most onerous um, and unnecessary part, uh, you know, thing that we did. It ended up taking up more time and costing us more money in running KNR than any other part of the business. Um, so that's something I would would have done differently. Um, I don't know if I would have done anything too differently, really, or, or if there's anything I know now that would have changed the way I would have done things. I think um, um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I, I probably wasn't at the time, um, you know, aware of how many different areas of law I would have to get across to be a generalist animal lawyer to, to learn all of this different legislation in different, um, in each of the states and territories and getting across different um, court procedures and um, different legislation. So um, probably having an awareness of, um, of that um, and, but I think that's been really helpful to my to building up my legal skills anyway. So um, I think that's just something that comes with time, grappling with new um, new areas of law, new new issues. Um, so it's actually one of the parts of it I enjoy the most is um, coming up with a new problem, something I haven't seen before, um, delving into it, learning something new. Mm. Yeah, I mean that intellectual stimulation is so important. I think that growth as lawyers, um, the lawyers that I think are the most successful of those that never lose that kind of willingness to keep growing and learning. Um, I'm curious about digging into that a little bit more, particularly around those benefits that it's had for your career, because you've talked about so much of all that extra learning that you've done in terms of animal law, but I'm curious about even bring it, flipping it over to look at the work that you continue to do now for Lawyer Bank and working with, you know, m largely government clients as to what are the benefits that it's had for that side of, of your practice as a lawyer? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's the same skill set, really. It's, um, yeah, it, with the current um, position that I have with Lawyer Bank, I'm working in an administrative law team that does a fairly broad range of work, pretty complex legislation. And I think um, just being, a, and I guess with Lawyer Bank, you might jump from, you, you might be seconded from one department to another. So just the skill set of being able to get across new legislation quickly, um, there's standard kind of legal research and, um, and analysis skills um, that come with getting across new areas of law, new legislation um i think it's probably just um yeah those those skills are transferable absolutely yeah mm. so in addition to to that you know clearly it's had those benefits for all aspects of your work and your growth as a lawyer um what about the benefits in terms of or, or and maybe challenges too but mm. benefits around well-being work-life satisfaction those kind of issues yeah that's a really good question I I think it's kind of twofold because you know that and I think this is why I, yeah well 
doing the animal law work, obviously I'm, I'm driven, I feel driven by that. And when I do that, I feel um, almost, well, yeah, it is something that drives me. I feel um, highly motivated to do that work. And I feel really positive with, um, you know, being able to work in that space and, and getting good outcomes. I also feel probably more emotionally tied to the outcomes of the work that I do in the animal law space. Um, and so sometimes it, it, there's, a, there's an intensity there to the work that isn't perhaps mm -hmm. there in um, the administrative law space. Um, and I guess the other side, uh, yeah, uh, the other side of it is some of the material that you have to see in the animal law space can be, um, well, you, you will be exposed to some horrific um, video and uh, footage and, and imagery of animal cruelty. Um, and that can take a toll. Um, so yeah, it's really twofold. Um, yeah. And I think that's where the balance comes in. Um, really, I think if I was, you know, working full time as an animal lawyer and exposed to seeing those things and hearing about those things on a daily basis, it could end up having quite a toll um, on my mental health. Um, and so I think, I think that's probably one of the reasons why the animal law and the lawyer bank work is a nice balance for me. Um, and also it's probably why I need to find creative outlets that um, release the pressure a little bit. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because I think, you know, so often we hear about lawyers um, who are working in, you know, for the, the classic story, it's the top tier firms, it's the, the, at least in years past, I know some of the cultures are, are beginning to change, but, you know, the stereotype is that kind of lawyer who's working incredible hours and has the high levels of dissatisfaction because they've let other areas of their life go. But what's really interesting about what you've told me is about the challenges, you know, that there's the downside of what you're doing that you have to really consciously manage, but that lawyer bank and the animal work law work is kind of in in a bit of a balance or sync to kind of so that you don't get too much of the negatives mm. um but I'd be really keen to hear a little bit more about like how you manage the pressure because clearly you've got a lot to do there's a lot on your plate yeah I think and one thing I guess I've I found with doing yeah so I yeah, doing five days a week um, with these two jobs and then doing k &R on on top of it is, is that it's a lot of legal work. Um, and it's a very, I find it anyway, to be a very specific and analytical way of thinking. So my brain is kind of like, you know, forced to work and think and operate in a very analytical and specific way. And so I, I really think, well, for me anyway, I need a creative outlet, something that just breaks that... Um, chain a little bit and um, provides a little bit of release and so for me I, I enjoy music um, playing guitar really just provides um, that kind of outlet and and cooking um, getting creative in the kitchen is something that I've always enjoyed doing um, and then just getting on my motorbike and blowing off some steam or hanging out with with my cat Loki or some friends um, yeah and trying to incorporate more exercise in my life <laughs> lately so that's it another thing <laughs> well so um perhaps you know going on from that it's clear that the, those outlets are really important to you to, to to let off that steam um but i i'm curious to hear about 
what advice you'd have for other lawyers? Like if, if they're kind of um, in a state of overwhelm or then they're a bit dissatisfied with, with what, what they're doing and perhaps they have a values-based kind of dream or idea, but it all seems kind of too hard, you know, what, what would you say to them if they came up to you and asked you about it? Oh, I would say, I mean, I think first and foremost, like finding some some sort of an outlet for that passion or that drive, whatever that might look like to you. And um, and I guess it depends on the individual. But um, for me, it started with just, um, you know, knocking on the door of a community legal centre um, that was interested in the same sort of matters I was interested in and just being able to help out from time to time you know, as, as much or as little as, as you can kind of spare. Um, and I think if you are driven by um, passion projects, just becoming the best lawyer that you can be um, technically, I think is, is, is the best thing you can do. Um, you know, if you want to help animals, for example, becoming, you know, it, it doesn't really matter what area of law it is. I think you can come at it from, from any particular way. You're, if you're a a commercial lawyer there's heaps of work that can be done in the commercial law space to help animal sanctuaries and charities um, and administrative law there's a lot of work there criminal civil ip really um just trying to hone your skills i guess and then about find and, and then finding finding an outlet and it could be you know if you're working for a private firm that um requires you to um, undertake a certain number of pro bono hours per year then maybe suggesting that you um your firm dedicate some of those hours or you dedicate some of those hours to a cause that you're passionate about or interested in and if you are thinking about starting up your own firm then i would say um you know give it a go if you if you um if you're driven by something then um i think it's worth it's worth the shot um you know i think it's better to regret having given something could go and realizing later that it's not um something that you that, that's right for you or it doesn't work at this time rather than um than regretting not giving something could go um and um i think that's it and and don't start a trust account unless you really need one. <laughs> yeah. that's probably a good spot to kind yeah. of um f- finish up on because you know what strikes me there is it's the very epitome of you know I called this podcast the thriving lawyer because that's what I wanted to kind of um, encourage in all its colors and all its diversity because I don't think there is one model or, or one one answer and I think we all we're all on this journey separately so um, perhaps just as one final thing is there anything that you'd like to add um, before we finish up, Narman. <laughs> um, I'd just like to say thanks for having me on your show, Kathleen. I think what you're doing is great. I think you're a lawyer that's doing things differently, um, incorporating your coaching with your with your law practice, and I, I feel like you've found a nice balance there too. So I'm inspired to see your um, your emails coming out um, regularly, and I really look forward to seeing um, you know where where you end up and, and where this um, and and where this um, you know, this passion project takes you. All right. Thanks, Narman. Really appreciate it. Thank you.